0: Amen. Will you guys give it up one more time for the band leading us in worship? Oh, so good watching them. Well, you guys have already found a seat, so I'm glad you guys know the routine by now. There have been approximately 165 of these, okay? 35 of them, I myself have actually survived. Some of you might have actually survived more than I have. Eight are supposed to happen in the not-so-distant future, and about 12 of them are so far off that the first one isn't going to occur until the year 300,000 A.D., Hi, my name is Brendan Anderson, I'm the youth pastor here at Element, and the things that I'm talking about are end-of-the-world predictions, yeah, some serious stuff. Before we get to the message today, I want to tell you guys about a new sermon series that we're starting next week called The End of the World. And one of the biggest conversations in the Christian faith revolves around the return of Christ and the end of the world. And lots of people are asking questions like, is what's happening today in in politics, in nature, with the hurricanes and volcanoes and tornadoes, is, is this a sign that the end is near? And while the Bible may not give us specific details around the timing of Christ's return or when the end will come, it does give us a design of how it will happen and everything we need to know concerning it. And that's what we're going to be looking at in this series as we talk about the end of the world as we know it. On your guys' chairs when you came in should have been an invite card. I highly encourage you, man, take one of those cards and just think of somebody in your life that you would be able to invite back to church with you next week and throughout the month of June is. I promise it's not going to be all doom and gloom like you might be thinking. This is the worst possible sermon series to invite one of your non-Christian friends to. It's not. I promise you, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, there's going to be a lot of hope. There's going to be a lot of practical advice that Pastor Jeff has to give. And uh, he's actually not here today. And so, as the the pastor that gets to be up on stage, I just want to encourage you guys. If you can't think of somebody, the more conspiracy theorist people we have in the church during this month, I feel like the better. Just for Pastor Jeff in general so that way after each sermon he can have just a wonderful conversations out in the lobby with all the people who disagree with him or just maybe have a, a different uh, viewpoint. So even if you can't think of anybody, start knocking on some bunker doors, start thinking of the uncle you haven't seen since the last end of the world prediction. Maybe think about bringing them along with you during the month of June. Also, if you would please, uh, don't tell Pastor Jeff that that's what I told you guys to do. Um, I'd like him to be surprised. <laughs> Today, I am unbelievably excited because it is officially Youth Sunday, and this is the one Sunday of the year where they typically just give me rain over what happens, and it is my favorite Sunday, not because I want to be in charge, like, that's way too much responsibility for me, but because you guys, as in all of, all of you that aren't youth, you get to see how amazing our youth in Cheyenne are. Yeah, whew, yeah it is. Like we had, if you didn't know, like there, it wasn't the typical band up here leading worship. We had five students up here leading worship for us. Even Brielle, Haley, and Bryce, the three adults on stage, they're all volunteers in our senior high fusion group. Michaela did announcements. And if you don't know, Michaela is actually in junior high. So the fact that a junior high student would get up here and, and be comfortable enough to give you guys announcements just blows me Away, Both of our camera operators tonight are junior high students, so that's incredible. And they're, they're literally all over the church, guys, helping out and, and making sure that we can have church every single Sunday. It is incredible. The kind of leadership and teaching and just the, the passion that is in these students to serve the church and to serve the God that they love. Every year, I look forward to this Sunday, where I have the honor of showing you just what our youth are capable of. And and typically, what happens is they give me this Sunday, they give me Memorial Weekend, they give me a, you know graduation weekend, this this week before graduation, as the first Sunday that I get to preach to you guys, and I'm always excited about that. I'm always super stoked to be able to give a sermon, but. A couple of months ago, God just placed this idea on my heart to do something different for Youth Sunday. He he placed the idea to tag team preaching Youth Sunday with a student, making it like a legitimate Youth Sunday. And so I talked to one of our high school students. He's a junior at Central. And I said, hey, what do you think about preaching on Youth Sunday with me? I said, this congregation is the most gracious, most loving, most accepting people that you could possibly preach a sermon to. Please don't make me a liar. I said, they would be the best people to get up here and talk in front of it and deliver a message. I said, I'll preach a 15-minute sermon. You get up, preach another 15-minute sermon. Like, we'll do these dual mini-sermonettes, play off of each other kind of a thing. Um, and, and it frightened him, but he he was like... Man, I can't, I can't resist the call on God's heart. It's like I feel like this is something I should do. So He agreed with it, and so I cast a little bit of vision for the day. I was like, This is kind of what God's put on my heart. This is kind of the the story and scripture I want to go through. Um, kind of just gave him a couple of ideas, and I said, why don't you go read the story? Here's, here's the passages I'm thinking of. Why don't you go read it, and then write whatever comes to your mind, and then come back to me, and we'll, we'll talk about what this actually looks like. And uh, what he did is, is he went, and he came back with a 30-minute sermon that just blew me away. So today, I have the privilege of not preaching to you guys. And instead, would you do me the honor of welcoming one of our senior high students up here to the stage?
1: so you would figure after the third time I've done this I wouldn't be like scared or like shaking but nope that's not the case tonight I'm very happy to be here but I'm also like Brendan said still frightened and I'll get to that a little bit later in my message but before we begin I figured that we would start off with a story and like a typical teenager, I'm going to start off with a story that doesn't necessarily have a point. It's like longer than it should be without a point at the end. But I'll just tell you the story. One night I was driving, and it was probably about 9:30, 10 o'clock. And all you try and people know that once you hit about 9:30, 10, like there's nobody on the road, so you're just driving by yourself. Um, so on this particular night, that's what happened. And um, for any of you teenagers who are about to get your permit or who are about to get your license. A head of advice is you cannot press buttons in the car with your parents there. Like, that's distracted driving. Don't do that. But on this particular night, that's exactly what I was doing by myself in my car at 9.30. I was pressing buttons, and in pressing buttons, I had accidentally pressed my emergency lights. Now, as they were blinking, it hit me that my emergency lights were useless when no one was around. Similarly, in our spiritual lives, we have blinkers as well, and this is really where we pick up. So often it's when no one is around that we turn them on and we shout out to the God and we say, you need to fix my situation. You need to come right now and make the pain stop because it hurts. You need to make it go back to where it was because when it was fine, I wasn't hurting. We turn our spiritual hazard lights on and we say, help. But it's funny because going back to the story of the driving, when someone turns down the road that we're stuck on, we do one of two things. We, one, we either pretend like everything's okay, or two, you shut it off. You pretend like you have it all under control, but inside your heart you're really saying, I am in dire need of somebody to help me. It's almost like we expect God to show up in person when we cry out and expect all of our problems to be fixed immediately. Immediately. You see, God is always going to be present in our lives. As a 17-year-old, I can make that promise. God is always going to be present in your lives. But oftentimes, his answer, when you cry out, comes through a person. His answer is going to come through the people that you surround yourself with, the people that are surrounded by you. It comes through people. And this is where discipleship is going to come in. Hi, my name is Cole Church, and I'm a C- and I'm a junior. I I really want to be a senior, if you couldn't tell. Um, I'm a junior at Central. I'm a student leader here in Fusion, and I could not be more excited to bring you guys the message today, and um, I'm super excited, and as Brendan said, I am a little bit frightened. But before we get into any of that, uh, I'd just like to open us in a word of prayer. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be able to come here, Lord, and I would just like to pray that as we really um, dive into the lesson, that you would just open our hearts and open our ears to what you have given me today, and Lord, I would ask that you speak through me, and then as later this afternoon, we had a couple of tornadoes touch down, Lord, I would just like to pray that each and every one of us in Wyoming are really safe, and that you just put your hand in those situations and just Um, show the good and how great of a God that we serve, Lord. And I would just thank you again, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, before we begin our road to discovering what God says about discipleship, we need to lay a foundation for understanding. And there are two things that we have to set up for understanding, and the first thing that we have to understand is the different generations. And I know, that's like complicated, because like different generations, it, it gets really tricky. But There's two things that have always been true about generations. I was listening to a podcast Pastor Brendan had given me, and within it, it said, My generation, Generation Z, is the only generation to not need the older generation for knowledge. Typical teenagers, right? Like, we don't need you for anything. That's really what I'm saying. But it's interesting because my generation is unique because with a click of a button, I can have any and all information that I would like, the good, the bad, and the ugly, at my fingertips. We don't necessarily need the older generation for knowledge. With a question to Siri, I can have any answer that you ask me and I can have it in a timely manner. But it's interesting because that's one of the things that we have to understand, but then two, this is really how it connects both of us. There's never been a generation, there will never be a generation that has been able to separate them from sin. Each and every one of us today in the building. Each and every one of us today outside the building, we have all fallen short. We have all sinned. No generation that has ever come and ever will, will ever be able to take that away. But with that being said, there's always been a gap between the generations. And it's like that weird gap that makes us say things like, man, some people's children. <laughs> like, it's that gap that we just don't know what to do with. Like the 50-year-old will look at the teenager and say, what are you doing with your life? Right? Like, it's that gap that we just don't know what to do with. And today, I want to talk to you guys about two guys who bridge that gap by discipleship. And we're going to really dive into what true discipleship looks like. Our main scripture today is going to lie in 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21, and Second Kings 2, 1 through 5. So if you all want to pull out your Bibles and follow along, or you can follow along on the screens, but if you are here today and you do not have a Bible and you are wanting one, I would ask that you please stop after this service and go to guest services um, to pick one up. And it's absolutely free, but um, we here at Element really believe that we need to be able to dive into God's word to really know what God is saying, um, what we need to do in our lives. So if you are wanting a Bible today, we'd be more than happy to give you one. Today, we're going to be answering the big question, and the big question is how do we do true discipleship? How do we do true discipleship? Our first our first, our first word today is going to lie in First Kings 19, 19 through 21. It says this, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Japhet, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulder and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I have done for you. So Elisha returned to his oxen, slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. How do we do true discipleship? The first point is it has to be inviting. For discipleship to work, you must be inviting. Now, we need to break this down because there's definitely a couple of things that we need to remember. For Elisha, he would have been having a good life. Now, let me expand on that. Not only would he have been having a good life, but there was nothing that he needed. He had a house. He had food. He had a family. He had oxen. Anything that you would consider necessary, he had in his life. He did not need anything, but that's where Elisha's story gets unique because he had everything that he needed, but he was missing something that he wanted. That is evident because I don't know about you, but if I were to ask you or you were to ask me to go and burn all your stuff and follow you, I would look at you and be a typical teenager and say, yo, that guy's crazy. Like he doesn't know what he's talking about. I have a lot of valuable stuff. I'm not going to go burn it. I'm not going to just up and leave my life. I have everything I need. But that's where Elisha's story gets interesting because he was willing to go and burn everything that he had. He was willing to go and give up everything he had because he didn't have what he wanted. Something was missing. He was not where he needed to be, and that's evident through him again doing the actions. For all people, though, we have at some point in our lives have said to ourselves, I feel lost. Like, we know that we should fit in somewhere, but we just don't know where that is. For teenagers, that happens often. I know that I fit in somewhere in the world, but man, that's like, I don't know where in the world I fit in. And for a lot of people, it's the same way. Elisha, like most of us, was looking for something to fill his life, looking for something to fill his heart. Fun fact, kind of uh, lightening the mood. Fun fact, uh, as a teenager, since I talk so much about the Internet, I figured that I would go on eBay and find the most crazy things that you could buy. And it's funny because with the end of the world coming up, the first thing that popped up was you can buy a UFO detector for $75. <laughs> I don't know why you would need a UFO detector, but, but you can buy it on eBay. The next funny thing, and this was probably the most outrageous to me, but the next thing that you can buy on eBay is an imaginary friend. And would you believe that this imaginary friend, this one man's imaginary friend, sold for $3,000? Now, listen, like, I had a lot of imaginary friends. If I knew I could sell them on the internet, like, we would be different, right? But it goes to show again that as a teenager, as my generation, we can buy all the things that we think that we need on the internet. The good, the bad, the real, the fake, We can buy all these things on the internet. We can go search on the internet and find these things. We can all search for those answers. But one piece of information that is necessary, that is necessary to get from other people is the love of God. You can't buy the love of God on the internet. You need to get that from people. And this is where discipleship kicks in full gear. You see, if we look around the world today, we can see the brokenness. We can oftentimes feel the pain. And one thought that has always touched me is how often do we shout? How often do we scream? How often do we shake our fist towards the heavens and say, why is this happening? God, why aren't you doing something? Why, 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 why? We shake our fist and we yell. We have heat in our hearts and we say, why? Why? And if you listen, God's answer is always the same. His answer is, He sent you. We can try today and blame God and tell Him all the things that are broken, but what are we doing to fix it? If it is true that we need to be more like Christ, how are you pursuing that? Are we serving like Christ did? Are we teaching like Christ did? Are we discipling like Christ did? Jesus, our best example, came down, and he did. Didn't ask any questions. He came down. He knew what he had to do, and that's what he did. He went out, no questions asked, and he did. And he's calling you today, and he's saying, go out and do. Go out and make disciples. I ask you, are you going to do that today? Are you going to follow in the footsteps of our Savior? Go out and do people are struggling to find that answer and where they fit in, teenagers especially, and really it might just be as easy as the invitation that we see from Elijah. What if the person sitting next to you today just needs to know that they are not alone? What if the person sitting next to you today is struggling to find out why you can worship the God that you do with all of your heart? As Jesus came down and he showed us his invitation in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, let's just look at what Jesus did. One day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. He called to, he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. A real quick note on this is: these four men were all willing to leave their lives. Immediately, when Jesus asked them to follow, they got up. It was an invitation. It was it was inviting. It was discipleship at its first step. I think so often that we get this idea in our head that we can't help anyone, right? Like, we oftentimes say, if only you knew my past, no one in their right mind would ever listen to me. Not that teenagers listen anyways, but still. (laughs) We say to ourselves, if only you knew what I have done, if only you knew, if only fill in the blank, I can't do this. But we fail to see the bigger point that we are all broken There's not a single person in this room that is not broken, but through Christ, through Jesus, we are made whole. If we want the church to grow, we cannot be afraid to go out and invite people to come alongside us. If we only focus on building a church full of saved people, man, we are missing a huge point that Jesus left. The church, as great of a place it is, was never supposed to be a sanctuary of the saved. The church was never supposed to be a sanctuary of the saved. It was supposed to be a hospital for the hurt. We can't get those flipped. Jesus came to those who were sick. Jesus came for the sinners. Jesus came for the people in pain who were hurting. He came for you. Jesus died on the cross for you. Don't exclude yourself from the gift that our God is trying to give you today. We can't be afraid of the sinners. We can't be afraid of the people. It has to be inviting because discipleship at its finest is going to be uncomfortable. God did not say, stay where you are and disciple people near you. No, he said, go out and make disciples. Go out and do. That was his command to us. Go out. We can't do that in our comfort zone. It has to be uncomfortable because God does not stay in the comfort zone. He works through the uncomfortable. Invitations are the first step that we need to make, and it will all look different for everyone. For Elijah, it was throwing a cloak around Elisha. And if that's your M.O. man, like, go throw cloaks around people. For Jesus, it was going out and saying, come, follow me. Whether you go fishing with someone or you invite them to coffee, inviting people to come alongside you is the first step of discipleship. It's necessary for discipleship to begin. We'll now jump over to 2 Kings 2, 1 through 7. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elijah and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has called me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course, I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has called me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. So true discipleship. It's inviting and it's intentional. The first thing that we have to realize is that Elisha was not given the orders through the word, stay here, for the Lord has called me to go to Bethel. Those weren't a command. It wasn't like, if you don't stay here, then like, there's going to be a punishment. Like He wasn't disobeying anything. It was more of a test, though, to see if Elisha would follow. When we are intentional, we need to make sure that it's evident. For the person who is discipling, you need to be intentional with what you do. You need to show the other person that you're allowing them to make their own decisions. See, this is not supposed to be passive. This is supposed to teach a person. It has to be intentional. I don't know about any of you, but um, for most of us, we have all those stories of those teachers that we just truly did not like in uh, like school. Uh, Mrs. Johnson in the sixth grade, whoo, For a lot of us, we have those teachers, right, and we sit back and uh, we reminisce and we say, man, if only I didn't have that teacher, I'd be so much better off. And oftentimes, it's not because they were bad teachers that we didn't like them. Like, I'm not giving a bad rap to teachers because I love all my teachers, but when you say that you did not like a teacher, oftentimes, it wasn't because they were a bad teacher. You just did not like them because they pushed you to grow. They pushed you to become the better person they always intentional with you. They pushed you, they made you grow. And it was uncomfortable. And as teenagers, you don't like uncomfortable. I don't like uncomfortable. Like this is uncomfortable, I don't like it. (laughs) But you see my point? It's making me grow. It's making me step out of the box. It wasn't because they were bad teachers. It was because they were forcing us to become the better person. And for a lot of us today, if we truly reminisce hard enough, you would not be the same person you are today with the knowledge that you have and the skills that you have if it wasn't for that one teacher. Because they pushed you, they made you grow, whether you wanted to or not. And that's what makes a good teacher a teacher. Elisha, bringing it back to the story, Elisha in my mind was like, what in the world is Elijah doing? Like he's asked me three times if I'm following him. Did he not see that I burned everything that I, like I've got nothing to go back to. Elisha was like that teenager in my mind that just like gets super frustrated and like shaking their fist saying, why don't you understand me? Like that, but Elisha was being asked that question because Elijah was making sure that it was Elisha making his own decisions. He was being intentional to make sure that Elisha was following, not because of Elijah's choice, but because of his own. He wanted him to grow. Elijah wanted Elisha to grow. He wanted him to make his own decisions in discipleship. It's about being alongside a person through it all, no matter what they go through, and be that person that they can learn from. Jesus dwelt with sinners, not with an iron fist, saying, what you are doing is wrong. Jesus did not dwell with, Jesus did not sit with an iron fist. But what he did, though, Was he loved them at where they were at? Jesus did not force his stance on other people. Jesus did not give people a hard time if they did not follow him. He loved them into obedience. I'll say that again because this is important. Jesus didn't say, You are wrong, and go about living his life saying, You all just don't know what you're doing. You just need to drop everything. No, Jesus loved them into obedience. And similarly, True discipleship is exactly like that. Being alongside someone and allowing them to learn, and even on Elijah's last day, he was intentional with the locations he went to. We're going to quick pause, and this ties back in later in my lesson, but if I were to tell each and every one of you today, if you had one day left, I would ask you, what are you going to do? One day left. That's all you got. Elijah knew it was his last day. Elijah knew that Jesus was going to take him up last day. What are you going to do? When Elijah's last day came, he was still trying to be intentional, and we see this through the locations that he went to, whether it be Bethel, Jericho, Gilgal, these places all meant something. They were all significantly important because they were all significant biblical places. Even up to the last day, Elijah was trying to be intentional. In our lives, it's about helping someone along their path no matter what their path is, and not about dragging them to where you think they need to go. It's about letting them make their decisions, but about being alongside them too. One thing that has been on my heart lately is, what is my purpose? Am I impacting anyone at all? And I've often asked myself that, what am I doing? What what am I going to be doing for the future? And, and I'll tell you, from a young age, I've always looked up to the people like Billy Graham who just really made that big difference, that really lit the kingdom of fire, the kingdom of God on fire, and he really went out and he changed everyone's mind, right? Like, he, he made such a big difference, and a question popped into my head when I was thinking about that, and it said, who discipled Billy Graham? Who discipled the person that you look up to? Pastor Jeff, Pastor Brendan. And I'll tell you that if it's one of the only things that you get from me today, I was striving to fill somebody else's purpose. I was striving to be the Billy Graham. I wasn't fulfilling my purpose. I was trying to be that person who just changed the world. But God sat there and He said to me, I made you. I don't need 10,000 Billy Grahams, I don't need 10,000 Pastor Brendans. I need one of you. I made you for a reason. Whether you go out and change everyone's world or you go out and change one, God made you with a purpose. Leave there knowing that. So I always wanted to change the world and when I was asked the question, who discipled them? When we are being intentional, get this, when we are being intentional, we need to be intentional for others and not ourselves. Your purpose was given To you to help other people. You can help others, yes, and you can help yourself, but that's what we're called to go out and do. Go out and do. That's why Jesus gave you the purpose. That's why Jesus created you. There's that term that is often thrown around that when Jesus created you, he made a cookie cutter, he cut you out, and then he threw the cookie cutter away. Like It's kind of funny. It's kind of cheesy, but there's truth to that because Jesus made one, one of you. That's it. You're unique. End of story. You can't argue that with me. As a 17-year-old, I know I'm unique. I oftentimes think the world revolves around me. That's not true. But the point is, God made each and every one of you with a purpose. He made each and every one of you unique. When you're being intentional, be intentional for others, not yourself. God sent his son intentionally to save us from our destruction. Get that. God, all of his knowing wisdom, sent his son to save us from our destruction be intentional. Elijah made sure it was Elisha making his own decisions, and when you see someone with their hazard lights on, when you see someone crying out for help because they are in pain, please do not let that opportunity pass, because you can show the love and the greatness of the Lord that we serve. After inviting people to come stand beside you, you have to be intentional to make sure that discipleship continues. The last passage that we will read today is 2 Kings 2: 7 through 15. And it says this: 50 men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan river. And then Elisha fo- and then Elijah, excuse me, folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. the river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, "Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away." We're going to quick pause here, because we see here that Elijah, even in his last few minutes, was being intentional. So remember when I asked you if this was your last day, what would you be doing? I asked you a different question, and the question says this. If you had five minutes, five minutes left, what would you be doing? You have five minutes left. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. You have five minutes there is not a person in here who would not try and go out and live those five minutes like it was their last. So in discipleship, it's interesting because in discipleship we need to disciple like we have five minutes left. We need to go out and disciple like somebody's eternity relies on it because oftentimes it does. Elisha was looking for the inv- looking for the inviting person. He was looking. He wanted something more. Five minutes. Are you going to do what God has called you to do? Five minutes. When you disciple, disciple like you have that left. Leave it all on the field. Give it 100%. Picking back up in the scripture, and Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elisha replied, but if you see me when I am taken from you, then you'll get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elisha was carried into a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elisha went across. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what had happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit now rests upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. What is true discipleship? It's inviting. It's intentional, and it's involved. Earlier this year, on the coldest day of the year, uh, there's a point to that, uh, coldest day of the year, I had to come pick something up from Brendan, and um, in doing so, I had accidentally gotten a flat tire. And when I tell you that your tire has a mind of its own, you just wait until next year when it's the coldest, rainiest day of the year, and you're going to get a flat. Like, I guarantee it. Like, that's how tires work. They don't go flat on the really hot days where it'd be like, yo, I could really change a tire right now. No, that's not how that works. So there's truth in the statement about what happened, and um, there's a lot of ideas of what discipleship is, and within this example, there's a lot of truth about what true discipleship is. You see, I knew how to change a tire. Like, I really did. I could tell you all the information needed to change a tire. I could tell you all the tools, I could tell you all the processes, but if you were to ask me if I'd ever actually changed a tire, like, the answer is (laughs) no. I had never actually done that. I could YouTube it, find out everything that I needed, but I couldn't put it to practical use. Needless to say, Pastor Brendan helped me change it, and would you believe, like, that guy, like, that small skinny guy can change a tire, like, really fast. Like, that cold would do something to somebody, and, like, he proved it. It was, like, done in five minutes. It was outstanding. But a lot of the discipleship in this time is not going to be new information to the people that you give right like my generation is full of know-it-alls and not do-it-alls i could like i said i could tell you all the information i could youtube it and i could tell you everything that you needed to know but if you asked me to do it i'd be like i'll be the manager man i'll give you the tools and you you do it yourself but it's about allowing them and it was about allowing me to have hands-on experience right like i can now confidently change a tire not because of all the information that i had It was because I had hands-on experience. A lot of the knowledge that my generation contains is useless unless put to practical use. It's just words. It's just books. Unless I use it in life, it doesn't mean anything. But that's where you guys come in. And and it's interesting because it's not a pastor standing up here saying, because I disciple, you need to go out and disciple. I'm saying, because I know that I need to be discipled, you need to disciple me. You need to disciple people like me. You need to disciple my generation. We are in dire need of people to come disciple us. It's flipped roles. At this point, bringing it back to the story, at this point in Elisha and Elijah's story, they would have been together for 10 years. The bond that they would have formed must have been grand. And for Elisha, when he saw Elijah split the water, he saw the works that he did. Hence, he wanted some of his spirit, but not some of his spirit. He wanted double share of Elijah's spirit. Like he wanted double time what Elijah already had. Hence, it was a very big question to ask, um, but it was made possible. But it's interesting on the share of the spirit because Elisha was able to do the same thing once he inherited that spirit. He was able to split the water. He had 50 prophets come and bow to him because they saw that Elijah's spirit now rests upon Elisha. The biggest point here is that when you are discipling, you need to show somebody the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jesus, when he shows his disciples how to do what he did, he showed them so that they could do it themselves. But it's interesting because Jesus never spared his disciples from the cost of following. He did not spare them from the persecution that followed. See, being a Christian and calling yourself a Christian does not mean that you won't be persecuted. I can make a promise to you. Just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean your life is going to be rainbows. Being a Christian meant however much persecution you went through, it was all worth it because it furthered the kingdom of the Lord. The persecution that you will go through, the persecution that you have gone through, it's all been worth it. That's discipleship. Jesus showed us that. See, God was intentional when he sent Jesus to the earth. We needed him as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be made right with our God. And when Jesus died on that cross for our sins, the amount of hurt, the amount of pain, the amount of suffering that Jesus felt is unimaginable. Living your whole life knowing that you would be crucified for other people's sins and be happy about it and be willing to go through it. That's discipleship. He did that because he wanted us in heaven with him. Needless to say, three days later, Jesus rose from the grave and he wanted us to have that chance to believe in him. He wanted us to have that chance to believe in him for salvation. It's a glorious time. The amount of pain that Jesus felt was overcome by Jesus when he raised from that grave. Because when he said, when he rose It meant that we were all cleared of our debts. It meant that it was possible to get into heaven. And Jesus all did this because he wanted us in heaven with him. What a glorious example. When you are allowing someone to be involved, when you are allowing someone to get their hands dirty like I had to do with Pastor Brendan on the coldest day, I didn't get to sit in the front seat in a heated car. When we got in that example Brendan made sure to show me everything that I had to do, no matter how cold it was. When you're allowing someone to come alongside you and get involved, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not be perfect. This was never supposed to be perfect, but the only way to make it better is to keep at it. Truth be told, I like to talk, and I like to talk a lot, and the first question that you're probably asking yourself is how do my parents deal with it? And they don't, but beside that, Being in speech and debate has always—it's talking has always really been in me. And before I came up here to do this, I'll I'll be honest and say that I was frightened, like Brendan has said. And I'll open myself up further and say, even standing up here, as confident as my voice may sound, I am shaking on the inside. I am scared because there's this small voice in the back of my head, just like chirping every time I say something, and saying, "What if you aren't good enough? What if the words that you wrote down..." aren't going to be heard by the congregation. What if you're not good enough? And I'll get to somebody after a time. After hearing that a couple of times, I'll get to anybody. The occupation that you guys have been in, the occupation that you will go into, the worst thing that you could say to yourself is, what if you're not good enough? What if you don't survive the cut? Satan puts these lies into our head. Satan tells us these things because my generation is in dire need of people to disciple us. Like the generation going to be leading our world is in dire need of the older generation to step down and say, I've got your back. I'll help you. I've been through this before. We are in dire need of help. We're screaming through all of our Instagram posts, through all of our Snapchat posts, through all the electronic devices that we have. We're really just screaming on the inside that we need you. We're screaming on the inside that we need you. When we say, mom, dad, you don't understand me, we're really saying, I don't understand this myself, so I need your help. Are you going to help us today? Are you going to do what Jesus has called you to do? He says this because my generation is in need. And now look, I I know that teenagers are difficult. Like we wouldn't be called teenagers if we weren't. Like let's be real with ourselves. That saying comes with a lot of difficult situations. But Satan tells you all these things because discipleship, no matter who you are discipling, furthers the kingdom of the Lord. You don't have to be perfect to disciple someone. You don't have to not mess up. You just have to show the other person that they are worth it. And with inviting people and with intentionality, it all comes together with involvement. When it's all said and done, and when we leave here today, we need to take away that discipleship is necessary. We need to take away that God sent his son to die on the cross for us, and God made us with a purpose. Each and every one of us. He didn't just want your neighbor. He wanted you. He called you for great things, whether it be to change everyone's world or whether you change just one people's, one person's world. You are called to do that. Jesus came down to show us how to do that. The lights that you see when you see somebody pulled over, the tug on your heart that you feel saying, what if I stop? Those are all things that are put on your heart for a reason. Just as Elisha did not look like he needed help on the outside, he was in dire need of somebody to stop and say, I know you're hurting on the inside. No matter how good you compose yourself on the out, you're hurting on the inside. The next time that you see someone hurting, the next time that you see someone with their blinkers on, I would beg you not to go into the other lane and just drive by, not to just forget about it five minutes later. I would ask that you stop whether it be actual lights or spiritual hazards, I would ask that you make the time because somebody's eternity might rest upon that. The next time that you see that, please pull over. Especially for my generation, we're in need of help. We need people to stop. We need people to say, we've been through this before. Are you going to stop today? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I would just like to thank you for allowing us to come here today, Lord. And I would just pray that as we leave here that you would put safety in each and every one of our lives, especially for the um, tornado victims, if anything was hurt, if any person is hurt. Lord, I would just like to pray that you put safety in their lives and that you put your hand in that situation. And Lord, I would just like to pray again as we leave here that you would have placed something within our hearts, that we would go out and we would be willing to disciple someone, even if it's just that one. Lord, I thank you again, and please allow safety for each and every one of us as we travel out of the building today. In Jesus' name, amen.